You're listening to episode 20 of the Creative Strings podcast. Today, I'm thrilled to bring you a special guest, New York Times bestselling author, Lewis Howes. Hello, and welcome to the Creative Strings podcast. I'm Christian Howes, violinist, educator, and music business entrepreneur. I hope these interviews will inspire you to be creative in your life, in your art, in your business, in every way. So without further ado, let's get to it. Thanks for tuning in today. I'm so excited to have my brother, Lewis Howes, join us and share his perspectives on business and leadership and break them down specifically for working musicians and creatives. Uh, if you don't know about Lewis, he created the um, popular podcast, The School of Greatness, and just recently has celebrated 25 million downloads. He authored a book, uh, which went on to become a New York Times bestseller, and there's even a chapter in there uh, about me. <laughs> really important ideas today. I've been doing a lot of content lately about music business, and a sort of aspect of the music business that I don't see everybody else talking about in the DIY music industry, normal spaces. I hope you'll enjoy the interview. And if you would like to learn more about my music biz mastermind courses, make sure to go to christianhouse.com, click on the blog, see about when the next course is coming up. And uh, I would love to learn more about your music business and see how I can help. Shout out to our sponsor, Electric Violin Shop. Electric Violin Shop creates the tools that help electric string players create. Go to electricviolinshop.com forward slash creative strings, and you can even get a discount by letting them know I sent you. But they are the best at customer support on the phone. Give them a call. Their number's at electricviolinshop.com forward slash creative strings. I'd also like to thank our sponsor, Yamaha. I've worked with Yamaha for over 20 years, consider them family. The brand is synonymous with quality for a reason. I've watched how they've tirelessly continued to build their line of violins and electric violins and other string instruments over the last 20 years, and it's just been amazing to behold. Now sit back and enjoy today's episode. This is a special opportunity for me. Sit down with my brother, Lewis, here at Thanksgiving uh, in Charlotte. We're all gathering like we do every year with our extended family. And for those of you that don't know, Lewis Howes, L-E-W-I-S, has a great podcast, The School of Greatness. And you just recently celebrated... 25 million downloads. Congrats, bro. Thank you. Thank you. 
So I've got some questions for you. Some of these were asked by actually folks that I work with in my music business mm. mastermind. It's a new program I started. Kind of been inspired by you in that way. Nice. And uh, I've got some questions of my own that I feel like people are going to questions maybe I would ask you for myself and I feel like other musicians would ask you because you're you've become a really huge expert in helping people um, perform at their best right that's kind of the, the theme of what you explore right right it's like you know high performance and uh, so the first question I want to ask you because I think a lot of musicians, struggle to distinguish or wrap their minds around the difference between craft or art and business. So how do you, you know, how do you explain that to people? You know, obviously you know me and my my work as a musician and there's a difference between the craft or the art of what I do as an artist and then the business side of it. So how do you how do you talk to people that you work with about that? Well, I think it's uh, just getting clear on how you want to live your life first, in terms of what are your needs and how many needs do you want to have met. So, if you're an artist, do you want to be broke and just have your craft and your art, or do you want to have make money and have your needs met and perform your art and your craft at the same time? And I think a lot of people don't think you can have both. So I come from the the point of view where you can have both, you can have it all, and the way you position things, and the way you position your art, your craft, and how you package it, and then sell that. And I think a lot of artists don't understand how to sell their art or sell themselves. And so therefore they sell themselves short by just performing their craft where no one listens to it except for them and a few friends, and they're broke, struggling, trying to figure out how to, to survive in the world, or they have to get a second job because they don't know how to package their ideas, which is their art, and sell it. And why, why do you think that happens so frequently? With people just aren't, they're not educated. I think they're, they're not educated or they don't think it's cool or don't think that's the way it's done or they don't think that's like the hip thing or whatever. And so they think they're not selling out, but really they're selling themselves short because they're doing a disservice to their life, in my opinion by not figuring out how to package their ideas, their art, their craft, their music, whatever it is, package their ideas and turn it into a, a profitable lifestyle. And I think it's a shame because there's so much talent in the world and yet they're not rewarded for it because they don't think that's how it's done. They think like, well, someone's supposed to find me or it's supposed to happen a different way or it's supposed to be a label or it's supposed to be this or I'm supposed to be taken care of in a band that pays for everything or whatever. But really, if that's not happening for you, then you have to make it happen. You need to be 100% responsible for your life and turning your art into a business. Otherwise, you just have a hobby and you can go find a job or you can go start something else in terms of making money. But if you want to make that your full-time thing, if you want to make your art or your hobby your full-time thing, then you've got to learn how to position yourself, package it, and capture an income for yourself. Most people aren't able to capture that value into income. How do, for people that would push back on this idea, you know, people that would say, well, I don't want to be too salesy, for example. Right. You know, or, you know, I don't want to be thinking about money as it relates to my art. 
is there a line that can be that's crossed at which point they are being too commercial or selling out and like where would you define that line i would say if you do anything you don't want to do but again there are going to be things maybe you don't want to do like even if you have a job you probably don't love the job 100%. There are things you don't want to do in the job, but you do it to make money. So unless you don't, unless you want to be struggling and you just want to be an artist and never make any money and struggle constantly and always need support from other people, um, then live that way. But if that's if you're cool with that, then don't don't complain or argue about your life. So either make a decision. You know, there are a lot of things that I did for many years that I didn't want to do to get to where I'm at. When I first started out eight years ago. I was doing a lot of one-on-one stuff, like running these little events that I didn't want to do. I was just doing like these little side things just to make money because I needed the money until I got to a position where I had enough money where I could start focusing on just the things I wanted to do. It doesn't happen overnight, and it doesn't happen overnight as an artist to all of a sudden be the best in the world or be a specific talent level that everyone just opens up their doors and books you for every gig and buys all your your music it's well it's not, not it's not really even related to talent level all the time is it would it's you not. say a lot of very untalented people who are making more money than talented people especially in pop music obviously like you say so i think again it's not about how talented you are if you're the best or not i think it's how you uh package your information your content your art and how you capture it, the money through that packaging and positioning so if you can package it in a specific way for the right audience and then capture the value from that audience and then paying you for something, whether it be for physical, swag, gear, downloads, whatever it may be, videos, whatever your art is, you've got to learn how to capture that value from people to turn it into income. But a lot of musicians, at least, which are the people that I'm working with and really trying to kind of translate your a lot of your teachings for for musicians, working musicians, I think a lot of musicians are essentially freelancers. You know, right. so they're working for they themselves. They want to be. A lot of them want to be full-time working for themselves, right? That's the dream for most of them, I would think. Yeah, or I think a lot of them already are, and they might be, they're either, they might have a private teaching studio. Mm-hmm. They might do different kinds of teaching workshops. They may perform. They may compose. Um they may do all kinds of gigs, but they're basically sort of like in the gigging economy, sort of freelancing. Mm-hmm. And I guess that brings up to another question, which is, what do you think is the difference between a freelancer and an entrepreneur? I mean, a freelancer, you know, photographers are freelancers. Yeah. I mean, I mean videographers. I mean, people who have many clients and gigs, you know, this gig, that gig, the other gig, you know. I never I never think of an entre- uh, as a freelancer of someone who grows past a certain level I feel like a free when I think of freelancer, they're the same thing. But when I think of an entrepreneur, it's someone who's like constantly looking to take it to a different level. Mm. Someone who wants to uh, have an impact on more people, a greater number of people, and bring in a greater amount of income for themselves. That's what I think of as an entrepreneur. As a freelancer, when I think of a freelancer, they never make past a certain amount of money. They only have a certain amount of clients, and they're working for multiple different clients. Entrepreneurs don't work for anyone necessarily. They may have clients, they may do different things, but don't think of themselves as like, I have my five clients, like a freelancer would have. Right, right. And they go from client to client, or they have a few on retainer. That's like a freelancer mindset. Sure. An entrepreneur, in my mind, my thought process, in my opinion, is like someone who wants to scale, someone who wants to grow, and eventually sell something. So I want to build something to be able to sell it, is the mind of an entrepreneur. 
Well, what do you think holds, let's say that there's, you know, again, working musicians. I'm trying to translate, you know, a lot of your stuff for them. Say working musicians who are freelancing, what's holding them back from being, doing better as freelancers, first of all? I think a lot of it is clarity of what they want. Most musicians and freelance musicians, from my perspective, don't have a clear vision of what they want financially. And I think... Artists are so used to being in this artistic mindset that they don't think as analytical. They don't think about the numbers as much. They don't think about like these specific goals, financial results that they want to have. They just know they want to make enough money. They want to get by. They want to provide. They want to do these things. But it's not like this clear vision like of, I want to make $200,000 this year. Okay, now let me break this down. How am I going to do this? First off, okay, I know what I want to do is $200,000. Why do you want to make $200,000? There's got to be something meaningful behind that number. It can't just be because, oh, I want to be rich or I want to have that in my bank account. No, there's got to be a why behind it. Otherwise, the challenge and the adversity that comes your way, when it becomes too overwhelming, you're not going to want to do it. You're going to be done. You're going to be like, I'm over this. So figuring out what you want to create and why you want to create that is the first thing, getting very clear. Then it's figuring out, okay, how am I going to make it happen? We've got the what, we've got the why, now how. So if you want to make $200,000, we've got to break that down. How much is that every single month? That breaks down to what? Almost like less than 20000 a month, right? 8000 yeah. hundred thousand. So 16000 a month is what you'd have to make. Okay, so how am I going to make 16000 a month? That's uh, $500 a day, something like that, right? So how am I going to make... $500 a day. Well, what are all the different ways I can bring in income? So you got to start breaking everything down in the buckets. For yourself, you've got gigs, you've got one-on-one coaching, you've got your your group mastermind, you've got your membership site, you've got production, you've got selling music, you've got selling charts, you've got um, workshop with kids, you've got uh, professor stuff at like universities, you could do like professor stuff there. So you've got like nine or 10 different streams of income. So then it's just blocking it off. Okay, what are all the different things that I have guaranteed coming in this year? And really mapping out day by day, week by week, month by month, where the money's going to come in. So you're not living in this artistic world of like, let me just wake up this morning and create some piece of music and like mourn and suffer and create this piece of work that's like going to be beautiful. And then hopefully someone will listen to it and like choose me. It's deciding to choose yourself and to create your life every single day, every single year with a clear vision and game plan of how you're going to make it happen. Not just, I'm going to create beautiful pieces of art and then share with a few people or tweet it out and then hopefully like the money flows in. That's just not what happens. You've got to be deliberate in capturing the value that you're creating in the world, capturing the income if that's what you want. If you don't want to make a lot of money or if you don't care about the money, if you just want to be an artist, then then cool. Then don't listen to this this interview anymore. But if you want to be an artist that makes a full time income, and you can feel, you know, fulfilled that hey, I'm learning to make a full time income around my art, then you've got to be very clear in game planning how it's going to happen. And if you're not good at that, you need to have someone support you in doing that. So if you're like, you know what, that just seems so overwhelming. Okay, find someone that you can have on your team to help map these things out for you, to keep you on track. Maybe you got to pay someone, uh, maybe someone in your family, your, your partner, whatever it may be. You've got to be smart enough to know what your strengths are and build a team around you. 
or you got to do stuff you don't want to do for a couple of years. That's just how it is. You got to do things you don't want to do. You did a lot of things the first 10 years going to the same local restaurants and bars, you know, on a Sunday brunch that you were like sick and tired of, but it made you that 300 bucks that you needed to pay the, yep. the rent that week. And you did it for years, even though you're like, I'm, if someone requests another song by Jimi Hendrix, I'm going to shoot myself in the face. <laughs> but you did it because you needed to. Right. And you learn to like appreciate the art that you're able to create, even if it wasn't exactly what you wanted to do. So I think creating a clear game plan, having a vision, and knowing the exact number you want to make. Most artists don't know how much they want to make. Get freaking clear on how much you want to make. This is what I teach all my entrepreneurs. They're good at making money, but they always want to make more. They never know how much. They're just like, I want to make more. Well, you're very vague with your vision, so you're going to get vague results. Get clear with what you want to create and then build a game plan around it. That's great. That's really great. Um, you keep saying capture value. I mean, does that mean, is that the same as like selling? I mean, I mean, at some point, whether you're a freelancer or an entrepreneur, you got to count. Yeah. If you, you have to sell, right? If that's how you want to position it, if, oh, if, oh, okay. if you feel like you don't want to be salesy, then don't sell. Be in service. So okay. I teach right. people don't sell anything, serve people. Right. And if you look at your art as a service to people, then you're never salesy. You're right. never pushy. Right. You're doing a disservice by not getting them to buy. Sure. Because you know the value you're going to bring. You know the experience you're going to create for people if this is a live gig. You know how much uh, how elevated the experience of the event is going to be with your performance. You know the feeling, the energy, the movement through someone's soul that they're going to have based on what you perform, most artists, if you're good. If you're not good, then then maybe you're going to have a harder time. No, but I'd love to drill further into that because I, I do see so many musicians, I think, sort of in a paradox in a way because they are giving away their music for free, and and that's really discounting the value of the music. And I think if you think about what is the value of music, I mean, music can heal it can transform people. It can change the mood of a party. It can make people unlock their emotions. You know, in church, they, they have music. In movies, they have music. I mean, events have It makes people dance. It makes people cry. I mean, the value of that is huge. It's like... It's, like it's only big when you know how to capture it. If you don't know how to capture it, then that's on you. So the value could be big for someone else, but unless you learn how to capture it... This is a, something a DJ, DJ Irie spoke at an event of mine he's a a well-known dj he's got a residency in in vegas he's got a uh he's the resident dj for the miami heat he performs at all these big events he's done the olympics the world cup all these different things he started out in miami as a dj performing every night in different clubs in, in miami and he wasn't making the money he wanted to make because he was always available and he wasn't comfortable charging so all of a sudden he said, I can't play here anymore. I can't play in Miami anymore because they don't understand the value. So I'm going to take my services everywhere else and start positioning and branding myself as the Miami DJ coming to these other cities. So he shifted and he repositioned himself as opposed to taking 300 bucks a night for all the local people that knew him. He said, okay, I need to take my show on the road, brand myself as this Miami beach poppin' DJ and he starts charging, you know, five, ten thousand a night. And 
when he came back to Miami, he was like, hey, I'm not the same rate anymore. If you want me, this is what you need to pay. So he stopped selling himself short and repositioned and repackaged himself and then started capturing the value differently um, as opposed to doing, doing it for less. He was doing the same shows, but just rebranded, repackaged, repositioned himself and started making 10 to 20 times more because of that shift in himself. Yeah, no, that's great. I love that. And I and uh, I saw DJ Irie at your event this summer, your first, your inaugural summit of greatness, which was an awesome event. I got to give you props. Thanks. Um, but I, I want to say a little more about that because I think so many musicians, they train for 10, 20, 30 years to develop the, their craft, to be able to really move people mm. on this deep level. And then... At the same time, they're like, "No, it's not cool for me to charge a lot of money for it." Like, then that's then if you like being broke, then be broke. Yeah, right. There it is. If there that's what is. you want, if you don't think it's cool, then you got to be cool being broke, yeah. or you got to be cool going to work another job, right? Doing something you don't love to make a certain amount of money to live. Yeah. So that's your options. Nice. Either get over this idea of like, "Oh, I'm just going to perform all day, six hours a day, and train to be the best," and then. No one's going to hear me because I'm not willing to sell myself short, but really you're doing a disservice to yourself and the world by not learning how to get your message out there. Yeah, that's awesome. So say that that somebody has their brain wrapped around all this and they're like, yeah, I want to, I do want to make money and I want to make, you know, double my income and I want to do it doing music, whether I'm teaching, composing, recording, producing, arranging, performing, whatever it might be. Um, you, you coach a lot of people and you have programs, you know, like the School of Greatness Academy, for example. I know you have a lot of members that go through the program. I know you, a lot of people that go through it and stay committed to it have amazing success. And I'm guessing that there are some people who don't get all the way through. So when people don't, when people say, oh, I do want to do this, and they've already decided that, like what's the thing that usually, or what are the things that usually hold people back that you see? I think there's a number of the things, but I think they don't, they don't want it bad enough. They're, they're afraid to commit fully to what they want because they think they might not work out or they might fail or, or whatever or they might look silly, or they might look... They're just afraid that it's not going to work out. And so they stop when they start to see any challenge or adversity. They're like, well, I told myself it's not going to work out, even though I want to do this. And then they just give up, or they go on to the next thing. They get back in their crap, and they stop focusing on their vision. I mean, everything needs to start with a vision of what you want and why you want it. Otherwise, when challenges come up, or when fears or insecurities come up, you're going to be uninspired to move forward. But when we live from a place of a clear, purposeful vision, it doesn't matter what challenge is in the way. It doesn't matter how hard it is or how frustrating or how many no's we get. We continue moving towards the vision. But without a vision, we're going to be wandering from place to place, idea to idea, trying new thing to next new thing, um, 
and being frustrated when it doesn't work out because we don't have a vision. So you've got to get clear on what you want and why you want it first. Otherwise, you're just going to be practicing to practice. It's like being on a soccer field. You can be the best soccer player in the world, but if there's no goals on the soccer field, if it's just an empty field without goals, you're doing drills all day. You're hitting a ball in the air. You're kicking around. You're running around place to place, and you're not kicking it towards anything to score. If you don't have a goal, you can't score. You can't measure anything. You can't capture any value. You can be the best in the world, but no one's going to know unless you can score. That's great. And so what if, what if somebody still has a vision or they have a vision and they know that they want to do better or whatever? I guess there still might think, be things that hold them, hold them back. Like, for example, what if they say, well, I need to practice, you know, my instrument two hours a day. And then that really takes up a lot of my time. I mean, you can relate to that because you're a world-class athlete. And you, in fact, I think you're still on the USA team handball team and you you guys almost got to the Olympics this last time. So what do you say to somebody like that? I mean, they're, you know, because it's the same for athletes, right? They have to train hard and then make other time for the business. Do you look at that as like two separate things that you have to divide your time or do you, how do you deal with that? Well, I think mastering your craft is one thing and then selling your art is another thing. So when I'm practicing my sports, I can't sell myself at the same time. I'm on the court, I'm practicing, I'm in the gym, I'm lifting, I'm running, I'm sprinting, I'm focusing on becoming a better performer, athlete, artist, whatever. Then afterwards, I've got to learn how to sell myself, how to get sponsorships, how to do whatever I'm doing. So you've got to have the skill first. You've got to have the chops to perform. Otherwise, you can't sell anything. So you've got to be good enough that people actually want it. And um, But usually, there's a certain level you get to. Like, you've been this good for really 20 years, right? I mean, yeah, you've improved and you've learned new skills, but it's more about your energy and your passion and your way of being in the performance once you get to a certain level. Like, would you say you've, how much have you grown percentage-wise? Like, if 10, 20 years ago you were at a certain level, how much more would you say you've grown as an artist in the last 10 years? Would you say, like, a significant amount or is it, like, a, a gradual growth it's not like you. the more you practice, you're going to get, like, that much better. Well, no, I, I'm glad you brought it up because I do think I've grown a lot, but not in the ways people might expect. Like, yeah, prob- it's like, like little, like, little things here and there that you pick up that you're, you're adding to your repertoire, right? Well, it, well it's actually, it's, it's different types of things. I mean, when I was 19, and probably the same for you, like, maybe when you were 19, you might have been able to sprint higher. But, you know, or jump higher or sprint a little bit faster. But now there's that kind of... The wisdom. Yeah, the grown man strength. Yes, Right. And or just the smarter, I'm just smarter with my movement as opposed to like just yeah. crushing my body with everything. Yeah. And, and, and I think actually, and I'm sure you would agree with this too, that a lot of times you have to go out and, and sell the thing that, you know, go out and jump into the fire and do that thing. Even if you're not sure, like you said, you started speaking before right. you put on your event this year and you had 400 people there and it was an amazing event and it was your first event. And I never did anything like it before. Yeah. So if you would have said, well, first I got to wait until I do an event. Or I got to do a small I'll... event first. And yeah. Like, that's ridiculous, right? Yeah. And, and I think a lot of people do that all the time. They're like, well, I haven't quite mastered jazz or I haven't mastered, I haven't written three symphonies yet. So I can't, right. you know, it's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> you know, so I do think a lot of times we can push our art forward by throwing ourselves in the fire, by just, you know, just by volu- putting our hand up and say, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to sell this project. You know, it's whatever. funny. Like, you know, I think of Lindsey Sterling, who's the most famous 
violinist in the world. I interviewed her, and she was like, she she auditioned for America's Got Talent or one of those shows, and she did her little shtick. Like, she had never done this shtick before. Like she'd never done this dancing violin thing before. She just thought, like, why don't I go try this thing and try to put on this production and, like, write this, like, kind of housey song and, like, pop housey song and then just go try to perform my own thing. And she did it, and she got, like, you know, booed off stage, essentially. All the judges said no. They were, like, XXX. It was, like, they all laughed at her. They were, like, this will never work. And she tried it. It was the first time she ever tried it, and she could have been demoralized and, like, okay, like, all these judges, these credible people said it's not going to work. No one liked it in the audience. It was a disaster. But she felt like, oh, I think I can get better at this. I think I could do this again and keep trying and keep doing it because it's something I think interesting. You know, she's not the greatest violinist. She's not the greatest dancer, but she was able to use her, her like, creative talents to package something in a unique way and then capture the value from the world. And she gets tens of millions of views on her videos and tens of millions of downloads, and now she's a multi-multi-millionaire, performs in front of 20,000 people at a time, sold out arenas all over the world for a thing that people said there's no chance she could ever do. But again, she packaged her talents. Not She's not the best at either, at dancing or violin. But she learned where her skill level is for a specific genre. She learned to master her skill level for a specific poppy, housey genre that sounds really cool for that specific area. But she probably can't do any jazz or any other fiddle or anything else but she's gotten really good at this one thing and she's built a brand around it. She could have said, you know what? This isn't going to work. Everyone laughed at it. I got humiliated in front of America. Like I'm done with the violin because everyone said you suck and there's no chance of you ever making money doing this. You might as well go kill yourself is essentially what the judges said in a few words. And she said, I'm going to learn and I'm going to keep going forward because I have a clear vision of what I want to do. I want to be a full-time performer and violinist. So I'm not going to let any challenge, any setback hold me back because here's my vision. So let me go try again. Then she started making YouTube videos where she didn't have to perform live so she could produce it in a different way. From there, she was like, oh, this one got 50 million views. People, <laughs> people like it. Now I learned like, okay, I've mastered it from video and editing it a different way and doing this cool thing on video as opposed to this live performance. Let me try it again live and see if I can recreate it. And then she built this huge audience of people that loved it and said, we want to see it live. So just an example of making sure you're clear on what you want and why you want it. I love the Lindsey Sterling example because, you know, I'll confess when I was a lot younger, I used to be really caught up with like, oh, I've got to be, you know, try to be the best at this or that or whatever, you know, as a, as a violinist. And uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm over that now, but, but I used to, uh, you know, I used to kind of diss other people that, that were successful. And if I thought they weren't like the best or, or they were selling out on their art or they were, yeah. Or like it was something selling out about it. And now I really, it wasn't as prestigious or yeah, whatever. It wasn't as sophisticated or as virtuosic what they were doing yes. or as hip or whatever. And, and of course I respect, you know, hip music and I respect virtuosity and, and deep music and stuff. And I still want to be able to do it, but but I look at someone like Lindsey Stirling now with total, total respect. And, and I think that people, more importantly, I think people can learn a lot from that example um, because, like you said, it wasn't really necessarily about her having the highest level of talent. 
Oh. And it's it's it was really about her level of commitment. Exactly. And uh, and she she moves people beyond belief. She moves people. She inspires people. She gets people dancing. She gets people excited about their life by listening to the performance that she does. So she's found an audience that loves this specific type of music. Maybe she still likes playing classical more than this. I don't know. But she's realized, like, wow, this one makes people happy. People are going to buy this art. They're not going to buy my other type of art. You know, there might be, you know, 10,000 EDM artists that do music that's, that someone might say is, like, similar to Lindsay or whatever. Right. Or people that do videos that are similar as Lindsay's, right? But that's not the point. Like, mm-hmm. she stuck with it, and she developed she her audience. She was the first, and yeah. Her brand. Even if she wasn't the first, I right. mean, she's just like... She committed to it, and she stuck with it. Here's another great example, Lady Gaga. Lady Gaga is someone who, from my understanding, really wasn't into the whole pop scene. She like wanted to do her like jazzy music from the beginning. But she realized like I need to position myself in order for people to listen to my jazz music, my like old time like Tony Bennett music, I need to first become well known for this like pop thing. So she became the biggest star in the world doing pop music and performing with this other style of music. Now all she does is this like Tony Bennett old school classical music because that's what she really wants to do. That's like the art that she really wants to perform. But she couldn't have done that and made a full-time living just doing it from the beginning. She had to do something maybe a little bit beneath the like style of music that is her love. But now she can go anywhere and perform and she's set for life because she did something that wasn't exactly what she wanted but – she figured out how to capture the value of what the market wanted. And I think this is what artists need to understand. Figuring out what the market wants first and giving them that. Be of service to the market. And you can continue doing your art to the way you want it on the side or in the jazz club once a week or whatever. But go create the cool hip-hop music that people want to listen to with your flair of jazz or your flair of your music the way you're doing it or the different type of art or create something that the market can cap can they can see that is valuable for them meet people where they're at don't expect people to understand where you're at right that is the the thing if you want to make money and have a livelihood if you don't care about that then do whatever the hell you want and four people will understand you yeah right well well yeah i think the 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 idea of serving the client is is really is is huge because the client's who might be hiring you to do this or that or exactly. the other. Whatever they want, that's that's what matters. If they want the cover songs and they're willing to pay for it, play it with your flair and your energy. You can always go play your your own songs at the freaking dive bar once a week for six people that care. <laughs> yeah. And when you get big enough and people respect you for what you're creating that they like, then you can create what you want. Yeah, I like that. Or you can keep trying and beating your head uh, over your instrument or whatever your art, your craft, hoping people will like what you want to create. Maybe they will. Some people, they do. But if they're not, you get to shift to make a living and build your audience so that you can create what you want later, and everyone's going to want that. Yeah, good. Two or three more questions, if you don't mind. Yes. Um, so this is a specific question from 
Neil and Rachel, uh, they own a private violin and cello studio in Frisco, Texas. It's called Chili Dog Strings. They were students or participants of my music business mastermind, uh, the first course last February, and they're doing the course again right now. They, in, the, in the first course, they ended up moving from Ann Arbor to Frisco, and they used the course so that they could figure out how to make the transition and like hit the ground running. Mm. And, and it worked out, and they're doing great. And, but they wanted me to ask you this question, um, and it's kind of a, a marketing thing. You know, They're trying to grow, get more students in their private studio. So they have to reach the parents, right, in a, a suburb of, I believe it's Dallas. So they want to know what you think they should do to influence parents to, to bring their kids to, to, you know, study with them in their, in their mm. teaching studio. What, what would this is like occur? private lessons? Like yeah, private lessons. Outside of school lessons or whatever? Exactly, yeah. Uh, I think, you gotta, I mean, first you got to find where the parents are. So where are the parents hanging out? That's the first thing. And I don't know where they all hang out. So you got to figure out where they are and how you can get in touch with them, whether it's one by one or in a group setting or whatever. Um, it sounds like going to the schools or something. I don't know how that would work in terms of finding the parents, but first find the parents. Oh, that's good. Where can, where can they find the parents? That's a good question. I, I'm sure just them brainstorming that would probably lead to a lot of things. So let's say that they find they find the parents in um, free advertising, you know, or paid advertising in local papers. I feel like um, you got to get more schools, yeah. PTAs. Yeah, I feel like you got to get creative and like find either the um, go to the music teachers of the schools and connect with them yeah. and work out something with them where you can come in and do like a a free lesson or something or find out when they have rehearse or when they have recitals at the schools where the parents are going to be. So you can connect with the parents before, during, and after the recitals. Go to all the recitals where the parents go. Um, go to the competitions where the parents go and they're watching their kids perform. And from there, I would just build relationships with these parents. And uh, at those performances, hand out your flyers. Say, hey, the first, the first lesson's free. They come in. Parents are welcome to come and watch and experience and see what we do. We do things differently here. But I would really get creative in how you can get in touch with these parents and say, hey, we want to do a free first free lesson with us. We have this renowned style or whatever it may be. And um, put yourself out there in a different way. It's all about relationships. So the other day, I a couple times I heard Seth Godin say something to the effect of, you know, too many people are thinking about scaling and what they should be thinking about is find one person with a need and go yeah. serve that need. Absolutely. How do you reconcile that, you know, the fact that everybody wants to have this, you know, 50 million views versus just find one person and mm. serve that need? Like, again, this, I almost think of it as this dichotomy between the freelancer and the entrepreneur or the scale, you know, yeah. the sales mindset serving one client at a time versus having this huge business. Like how do you reconcile? That? I think you just got to get clear on how much you want. Again, getting clear on how much you financially want. And then based on that, you can figure out how many clients you need. So if you want a hundred grand as an artist or musician, okay, what's that going to take? How many clients do you need? How many lessons do you need to have? How many gigs do you need to have? Um, 
is my pricing structure the right way? Should I be charging more? It's just figuring out the numbers. Most people don't calculate the numbers. That's good. And for me, it gets it becomes very simple once you know, okay, here's the financial number. I want to make two, 100 grand. That's $8,000 a month. That's $2,000 a week. How am I going to make $2,000 a week? Yeah. Okay, well, right now I have 10 clients where I do one-on-one lessons for a hundred bucks. Okay. So that's a thousand dollars a week. How am I going to make another thousand dollars that week? Is it going to be a gig? Is it going to be a workshop? Is it going to be music that I'm selling? Is it going to be a course that I do? Is it going to be teaching something else? What is the thing I'm going to do? Production work, et cetera. That's going to make me the extra thousand dollars. Or do I just need to double my rates? So all I need to do is double my rates and have 10 clients a week and I make a hundred thousand dollars a year. Right on. What's the difference between marketing and sales, or how do you think about the need for marketing versus the need for sales applied to, again, you know, people that are kind of freelancing, if you will? Marketing, I feel like, is the content that you put out to the world, the free content you put out to the world, in my mind. Someone else may have a different definition, but for me, I feel like marketing is the value you put out to the world for free that attracts the potential customers you want to have so for instance i've got a free podcast that i put out three times a week i consider that marketing i'm putting my content out there it's absolutely free there's no charge and it's like changing people's lives with this free content that i put out there i spend my money to produce high quality content you know i've got a full-time video person audio editor time and energy recording interviewing editing researching for my guests, all these different things. And then I share it out to the world through iTunes, through all my social media platforms, my email list, my website. I share it out there to the world. So I look at that as marketing. It's attracting potential clients and customers. Yeah, 25 million downloads as of recently. Yeah. Congratulations again on Thank that. you. And for me, in that's marketing. Years? Uh, four years. Four years. Four years in January. For me, that's... That's my idea of marketing is creating value to the market, free value to attract potential clients. Sales is saying, here's something I have to offer that's a price point. Do you want it? Yes or no. Here's why you should get it because here's how it's going to serve you even more than my free content. So sales is, is again, for me, service to get people to invest in themselves to take action to solve a problem. Yeah. or to fill a need, or to inspire, or to educate, or entertain, whatever it may be. But the value you offer as an artist is usually feeling a need of inspiration, feeling a need of an emotional experience, feeling the need of a feeling, uh, entertainment. It's different than me selling a course, which is helping solve a problem for someone. Well, if, yeah, but if you're an artist, if you're a teacher, if you teach private lessons, you're teaching someone's kid absolutely i mean you're shaping their life absolutely i mean that's invaluable if you're if you're going to make someone's wedding special that's their best day ever yeah and you're going to provide that tear-jerking moment absolutely you're going to accompany that perfect like people remember forever dance or whatever it might be absolutely i mean you can't put a price tag on that right no you cannot and so many people are so that's what i was going to kind of ask is like how do you know what to charge
what what about this thing charging what you're worth? What do you think about that phrase? You can only uh, sell yourself for what people are willing to buy it for. So if you charge what you're worth, but no one buys it, then you haven't positioned and packaged yourself, your brand or your worth the right way. So you need to learn how to position and package it. You need to learn how to sell it in a different way, which is really positioning and packaging, which is why I talk about the importance of building your personal brand as an artist, building up this um, perception of what you want to be worth to people. So if you have crappy design or website, if you don't have any following, if you don't have anything nice you put out on social media, then what's that say about you? Your worth is really not how good you are. It's how good you're willing to showcase how good you are. Well, it's not just about the packaging, though, either, right? I mean, it's, isn't it, just, it can be about the time and the thoughtfulness that you put behind Absolutely. the messages you put out there. Yeah. They don't have to be expensive design. No, it doesn't have to be. But you need to be um, able to connect with people in a way that works for them. Yeah. And if you're not able to position and connect through your messaging, then you need someone else to help you with that. What about marketing in the sense that, you know, do you do you try to be – I know some people and you, and you know, are everywhere. But I've also heard you say don't be distracted by the shiny objects, you know, coming by you. So what about this temptation to be, you know, on every marketing platform versus just do two things really well, like have a YouTube channel and yeah. a Facebook. But like, I'm trying to maximize my efforts to be everywhere without having to exhaust all my time and energy with it. So my podcast – is on iTunes and on YouTube, but I do the same task. And and then I have this, I have someone edit up the video from YouTube for me to just share on Facebook and Instagram. But not everybody has your budget. I mean, to do, you know, if somebody's right. trying to quote unquote scale or if they're a freelancer and they're trying to figure out like, what do I do between all these 20 different platforms mm-hmm. for a marketing? Yeah, investment. then I would just, I would focus on one or two. I mean, focus yeah. on. If you're an artist, focusing on places where you can showcase video, like Instagram and Facebook, are the best ways because I just think you can build a great evergreen content, especially if you're a musician or a painter or some type of artist. You want to showcase that talent through video because that's your performance. Little micro stuff through through video, that's how you're going to be able to be seen to grow. You could use that on YouTube as well. So you can use the same content on every platform and just – Edit it up a little bit differently. So I think I keep coming up with a couple other questions in my mind, but really I think it's just two more questions. So, um, you know, this idea, I, I think of a dichotomy between mindset, which a lot of times people think is all like, you know, kind of spiritual stuff or like up in the clouds or, you know, removed from the real world or from the practical world versus like practical world stuff. How do you see the division between those two things or – do you not see them as being separated at all? You know, mindset versus the practical. Because I know you're big on both. I mean, I know that. You what do you get, mean by practical? That's a good question. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I like. I know that you're into meditation now. I know mm-hmm. that you're into. Um, you know, you've really uh, influenced me to like practice focusing on like gratitude and all these other mindset things. You know, like taking yourself to the next level in terms of like personal responsibility and accountability and um, being more honest and, you know, thinking about principled character types of things, like working on your character, Mm. working on your mindset, like how you approach the day. It's almost like a spiritual approach to the world versus like you're a businessman, like you're always dealing with money and figures. And you just told us in this 
you know, yeah. interview about like see the numbers. So I guess that's what I mean. You know, I don't know if yeah. I think um, when I think of like mindset stuff and practicing mindset, which is really for me uh, living a healthy lifestyle, thinking about being a good human being, thinking about abundance, thinking about gratitude. It's kind of like the the mindset of living a greater life in kind of all those categories. Living in an abundant world, living in a space of gratitude, living in a space of uh, of a healthy mind, healthy emotions. Because my inner world, if my inner world is not beautiful, my outer world will not be beautiful. My results will not be beautiful. If we are constantly struggling on the inside, there's going to be constant struggle on the outside. So it sounds like it's a really holistic approach actually for you like you're constantly working on all these things i mean physical fitness mental yes spiritual like getting new skills yes like meditation like self-development programs um Mm. coaching i want to you know actually i want to ask you about coaching because i used to be pretty skeptical about coaching and i think people are skeptical about coaching why is coaching valuable in your opinion like what is it about coaching that actually helps people the greatest athletes in the world didn't get there on them by themselves and they don't get rid of their coaches at the top they hire the best coaches at the top they don't say i've got this i'm good i don't need you to give me any feedback anymore even though they're best in the world they want more feedback they want to analyze more how they can become better they're constantly adjusting tweaking improving their game. So I take that approach to just like a finely tuned athlete doesn't stop getting coaching after he got there from coaching, why would you stop getting coaching and your your craft or your art or your business just because you think you've got it figured out? I think there's always blind spots for us. There's always ways for us to improve and to be accountable. And a coach can guide us towards our vision and keep us on track you know the coach in a sports team and a football team helps us get clear with our vision at the beginning of the season writes it up on the chalkboard here's the vision for the end of the season we want to win the championship if he just left and we just tried to figure it all out for the three months it'd probably be a disaster even though we still have the vision it's just so much helpful more helpful to have someone keeping you accountable keeping you on track doing the drills you need uh, you know, realigning you when you get off track because it's not always going to be perfect. It's just someone to keep you accountable. So I like the idea of having a coach. I think it's a lot harder to do it on your own. It's a lot more exhausting. That's why I like having coaches myself and, and recommend it. No, that, that was that was pretty much it. And, and what do you think makes a good coach? Uh, someone that someone that inspires you, someone that's been there, done that, what you, someone who's done what you want to do. Um, or someone who's doing what you want to do, or someone who's done it before, or someone you respect, someone who's, you know, inspiring in some way to you, someone that you'll follow through with. Awesome. Thanks. And I know everybody, I'm going to send everybody to uh, schoolofgreatness.com. Mm. You guys got to go out and get the book. It's a New York Times bestseller. Um, go to Lewis Howes, that's L-E-W-I-S, Howes, H-O-W-E-S, dot com, and learn about... Um, Lewis's uh, School of Greatness podcast, over 25 million downloads as of recently. Um, and check out my brother's great events and much, much more. Get the book. I'm, there's a chapter 
about me in the book. <laughs> and there's a couple episodes. Um, I'll throw them up in the show notes. There's a couple episodes where my brother uh, interviewed me sitting in this spot or in another spot. Last year, Thanksgiving. Last year, Thanksgiving, and the year before on Christmas. Was that right? Yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. So, and th- those episodes, you know, we get into some other stuff. But uh, anything else you'd like to add? I just think you owe it to yourself to constantly um, learn as an artist about how to how to make a full-time income, if that's what you want. You, you've got to learn by listening to podcasts or, going, or, or picking up different books about business or about marketing or finding a coach who knows this stuff that can just tell you what to do and just follow someone's guidance. Don't try to figure it out on your own. And don't sell yourself short by saying like, oh, this is beneath me selling my art or whatever. Unless you just want to be broke, then fine. It's <laughs> great, man. But if you don't want to be broke, then you've got to do certain things that you may not want to do for a while until you get to a certain level. And it may take five, ten years. It may yeah, take if, longer. And if you if you work for yourself, that is, That's, right? Yeah, yeah. If you don't have a salary gig, sure, yeah, yeah. So even if you have a salary gig, you're probably not doing something you want to do every single day. If you're working like a job somewhere, you're probably not doing like everything that you want to do at all times. So do you want to work a different job where you're not doing something you want to do? Or do you want to work for yourself, do something you want, don't want to do, and be flexible with your hours while building your brand at the same time? Maybe not performing the exact type of stuff you want, but you're still inspiring and helping people through your art. Sure. And I, I think that some people have a legitimate, you know, can make a legitimate choice that they want to work. You know, as a school teacher, for example, yeah, that's fine. Or in a that's what you want, sure. Uh, and there's a, you know, I think there could be great trade offs cool. for that. Cool. That's why I'm saying get clear on your vision first. Yeah. If your vision's like, I want to be a teacher full time and teach 50 kids a day and have a full time salary, awesome. Then that's your vision. But I'm assuming most of the people listening want to be like freelancer on their own, is what I'm assuming. So. Well, bro, I appreciate you taking this time because I know that it's your time is very valuable and, uh, you know, you're a huge inspiration to me, and I'm, I really appreciate you uh, allowing me to uh, to share your your vision with uh, yeah. my audience here. Of course. My pleasure. I hope you enjoyed today's episode as much as I did. For me, you can imagine, it's amazing to watch my brother grow and see all the things he's up to. Head on over to christianhouse.com and click on the blog to find this and many more episodes. And to learn more about Lewis, connect with him at lewishouse.com and or theschoolofgreatness.com. Shout out again to our sponsors, Electric Violin Shop, and Yamaha. Thanks so much to them for their continued support. I hope you'll share this with somebody you think will enjoy it, post a comment on the blog, and you may have noticed I've been doing a lot more focused work around business for working musicians. If you haven't heard about it yet, make sure to check out my Music Biz Mastermind courses. They've been going really great. We've got tons of testimonials from musicians who have worked with me. And if you would like to share what's going on with your business, I would love to hear about it. I'd love to see how I can help. You can find more at christianhouse.com. 
You can always reach out to me at chris at christianhouse.com. Stay creative, and I look forward to seeing you next time.